Hello and welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Katherine Schifferdecker. And today we have as our guest uh, um, speaker uh, and Bible expert, uh, Professor Cameron Howard, who is a professor of Old Testament at Luther Seminary, a colleague and friend. So uh, we're excited to have you here, Cameron. We've got some listener questions for you. Uh, and so one of the OG hosts, right, Cameron? You're one of the OG hosts oh, that's of the, true. the yes. Bible no. podcast? Well, yeah, I guess like years actually ago, I took over for it, Catherine at one point. Yeah, so I, I was back in the day, um, <laughs> yeah, hosting this. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks for remembering that, Katie. I had forgotten. Yeah, you uh, you are one of the original hosts uh, of in the previous incarnation of this podcast a That's few right. years back. So thanks for joining <laughs> us again, Cameron. Glad um, to be here. Yeah, good to have you. So we have a, a rather long listener question. And uh, again, a reminder to the listeners that if you have a question about the Bible, uh, please go to the enterthebible.org website and uh, click on ask a question or whatever that tab that it comes up right away when you go on the website and you can submit a question we we don't promise that we will address all the questions but we try to address uh, many of as many of them as we can and sometimes we'll combine similar questions so this one uh, talks about uh, Second Chronicles or First and Second Chronicles, uh, and the listener is looking at uh, the entry on Enter the Bible uh, about Second Chronicles, in which the author, uh, Professor Mark Throntveit, uh talks about comparisons of Greek versions of Samuel and the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, and uh, and and Second Chronicles. And uh, the listener wants to know which is the correct reading, the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Septuagint? Uh, and is it uh, about the Dead Sea Scrolls being in Hebrew and the Greek loses some meaning, et cetera, et cetera? So it's a, it's a question specifically about uh, an entry on Enter the Bible, but we're kind of opening it up a bit to address two things, I think. One is just to talk a bit about First and Second Chronicles. Uh, which Cameron has spent some time in, and uh, to talk about how they compare or what what they are really, what is the genre of First and Second Chronicles, and then to talk a bit about this idea of uh, or this issue of different manuscripts. So Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. It has to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It has to do with uh, the Greek translation of the of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. So we just want it, to. It's really too much for one podcast episode, but we want to at least address. Uh, start to address uh, those sorts of questions. So Cameron, let's start with that that thing about first and second chronicles first and second chronicles in particular. Like how would you define those or describe those to someone who's not familiar? Well, um, it, this is a great question from the listener. First of all, I'm really excited about the detail that they've um, that they've been studying. First and Second Chronicles, or I'll refer to them usually just as chronicles because they were originally one book that got split apart due to length, probably. Um, but like the um, Twilight, like the Twilight books, the last, <laughs> just like the that. last movie of the Twilight series. 
<laughs> that's exactly like that. Right. Or, or you could so, say the three-part Hobbit movie, but you know that's a different matter. Ooh, no, that was a bad. That was a bad artistic choice. Anyway, go on. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. but we digress. So, <laughs> Chronicles. Um, Chronicles. If you've ever tried to read through Chronicles, you've probably noticed that the first nine chapters of Chronicles are genealogy. So nine chapters of genealogies, and then um, it picks up with the death of Saul and retells a lot of the history that we also find in Samuel and Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, also once each uh, one book. Yes. Um, but Chronicles is different in that um, it leaves out a lot of the more kind of salacious or maybe even interesting details um, <laughs> from the life of David, for example. Unlike the Twilight movies. Go on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and it's, it's very focused on, on David, but not on David as the sort of complicated personality that we find in Samuel King's, but rather um, David's kingship, David's establishment of, um, for example, the guilds of temple singers, David's um, authorization of things that were going on after David's death, and in fact, after the exile. So Chronicles is retelling Samuel and King's stuff from a particular, very pro-Davidic point of view, but also from the Persian period of biblical history. So after the exile, probably really the fourth century is when Chronicles is put together. And so a fourth lot of what it's B doing. BC, just to BCE, yes. Yeah, BCE, yeah. yes. Um, the 300s. Um, and so, bef so in order to kind of comment on perhaps the way that temple worship is happening in the fourth century or to provide authorization for who gets to be a priest or who's in a particular job. Um, so, so on the one hand, it is kind of rehashing some of the earlier stuff that we read in Samuel Kings, but on the other hand, it's also probably commenting sometimes in ways we don't even yet understand mm -hmm. about a later era. It was written after Samuel and Kings and it, it, um, uh, is probably not only commenting on the past, but also on its, present so how would you like how would you compare this to a, a history textbook say or a or a you know biography of alexander hamilton or whatever you know like what what are <laughs> right. the what are the aims of chronicles does it What's contain it? elements of rap and hip-hop um, uh, you know, there, there is, there is a kind of mashup actually of a really? song in, of songs in First Chronicles. Yeah. I love it. Um, a kind of reworking. So we the could Hamilton look at of that our time. in another of it, of podcast, its time. the mashup, yeah, the musical mashup in First Chronicles. Um, but it, um, it, it, so we know that there's no such thing as disinterested history. Everybody sure. who wants to talk about the past has a particular agenda, has a particular point of view. But um, in modern history writing, there is at least um, a sort of effort 
toward objectivity or toward being very transparent about what one's agenda might be and as much as it can be known um, for the for the and for sort of telling the things that happened. And I think the chronicler is not simply trying to tell the things that happened, um, but is trying to interpret the things that happened um, through a particular theological viewpoint. So he he doesn't, and I say he because I think it's overwhelmingly um, the possibility is that the chronicler, the one who wrote Chronicles, was um, male. Um, uh, but I, but, but we could just say the. I'll try to just sure. substitute the chronicler. Sure. The chronicler um, is is um, as I said, we don't entirely know the motivations of the chronicler, but we know what some of the chronicler's interests are. Are um, so first of all, the sort of legitimacy and authority and just overall greatness of the kingship of David. Sure, um, and all the stuff. Um, that sort of extra stuff is attributed to David and David's establishing it to kind of give it authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the chronicler is also interested in um, all of Israel, the kind of unity of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, this phrase, all Israel comes up time and time again, all Israel gathered at the, um, you know, coronation as it were of David um, so there are particular, and so the way that we, that biblical scholars are going to try to discern what the chronicler is up to is by comparing with Samuel and Kings. So what gets put in, what gets added to, what gets left out. So just a couple of examples. Um, the, the story of David and Bathsheba is completely absent from Chronicles, even mm-hmm. though Bathsheba is referred to. Solomon, you know, the successor to David, son of David and Bathsheba is referred to. Um, but those kinds of personal details are left out. Michal, who is um, Saul's daughter, you know, there's a whole episode in Samuel where um, David dances before uh, right. the ark dressed mm-hmm. in only a loincloth and Michal <laughs> looks with disdain on David's doing that, that is not in there, but there is just sort of one like kind of, um, expression of disdain about Michal, but she's not even listed as one of David's wives in the genealogy. She doesn't have a child with David. Um, but the, the chronicler doesn't like Saul, it seems, or Uh wants to really emphasize how great David is over Saul. And so it seems like the little detail that is included about Michal is probably just to say, look at Saul. He's terrible. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) so David is the best and Saul is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You can sum up, especially first Chronicles in, um, David is the best. That, that was a very good summary (laughs) of first Chronicles. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So in, in, in that sense, it reminded me what you were saying, Cameron, was it reminded me a little of the gospels, right? Like the gospels are all telling the story of Jesus from a different perspective. And so when you read the gospels, it's, it's super interesting to see where they're the same. And then it's maybe even more interesting to see where they're different and see where each of the different gospel writers are, you know, what they're trying to emphasize in their context or whatever. So this feels like a practice that's like pretty good, Bible reading 101, you know, kind of 
paying attention to those sorts of differences and, um, you know, comparing and contrasting, especially when you're getting the same basic story, like retold a couple of different times. Right. And then, oh, go ahead, Catherine. Oh, no, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I wanted to go back to a point you made earlier too, Cameron, when you first started talking about Chronicles, that, that the chronic the chronicler <laughs> is uh, probably writing in the Persian period, 4th century BCE. Uh, by the way, BCE, same as BC. Um, but before the common era now is the, the more common way to talk about it. Um, anyway, so he, I'm just going to say he, because you're right, it's probably, um, is uh, is almost as concerned or perhaps just as concerned with his present context and talking about, you know, kind of addressing the people of his generation and, and context um, as much as he's interested in, you know, tell, retelling the story of, of David and, and um uh, you know, and, and all Israel. So it, it, it's, it's just, I think worth emphasizing that point that, that like the gospels as well, right? Many of, uh, you know, some of which address issues that didn't come up in Jesus time, but came up later, like church discipline. Right. Uh, the chronicler uh, talks about issues that come up uh, later in uh, Israel's history, not necessarily in the, in the period of history that he's addressing. And like, right. and like Hamilton, the musical, right? Like Hamilton, the musical is very much a product of the 21st century, <laughs> reflecting yes. back on the history. No, seriously, but like no, making right. a commentary right. on present day. Mm -hmm. I think we should call this episode Chronicles, not as boring as you've been told. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Like as someone who's, who has spent some time in Chronicles, I want to say that on the one hand, there is a lot of boring stuff in Chronicles, <laughs> but, 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 um, there's a, there are a lot of interesting little like glimmers of things that come up in Chronicles that are really, really different. And so one of those one of those things is that, um, you know, to figure out the chronicler's agenda or what it might have been, we want to look not only at Samuel King's because that it appears that the chronicler, and this gets to the listener's uh, yeah, question, yeah. the other part of the question, the chronicler was looking not only at the existing text of Samuel King's or a kind of earlier manuscript version of it, perhaps, but also other sources yeah. um, that we do not have access to today. So biblical scholars will be trying to figure out, well, this part overlaps with Samuel King's. This part um, doesn't. Did the chronicler make that up or did the chronicler have some other text in front of them to read and to take from. Certainly there are lots of references to these hypothetical other texts in first and second chronicles, like, um, the chronicles of Edo, the seer or the record, you know, the annals of the Kings and the Kings of Israel and Judah, or these, there are the kind of these references, almost not quite footnotes, but a little bit like that, you know, saying, yeah. if you want to read more about this, you should go to such and such a text that now does not exist. And so scholars try to figure out 
were there other texts that the chronicler was using? What did the chronicler make up? And so um, when it comes to looking at versions of chronicles from the Dead Sea Scrolls and um, from the Septuagint, which is uh, the old Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible made, it was begun in the third century BCE and um, finished in the second century. Um, from Hebrew to Greek. So, so scholars will compare all these different old manuscripts and look at where they overlap. Um, and so I think that on the enter the Bible entry, when it's, when the question is, which one is correct? Um, what's happening there is that scholars are, are putting those side by side, Samuel King's Chronicles, and then from the Hebrew tradition and then the Greek tradition of those texts and then Mm -hmm. Dead Sea Scrolls manuscripts of those texts, which would have been Hebrew Mm -hmm. and seeing, okay, if three, if three out of these four match up, what's probably happened is that the fourth one, the outlier has done its own editing because there's a lot of continuity um, in the texts. And then when you see something deviate from that continuity, it's probably that that person has innovated on that existing textual tradition. Yeah. So there are places where, for example, Chronicles and the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint will line up but be different than Samuel King's. So maybe Samuel King's there is either looking at a different manuscript or doing its own editorializing. So there's, there's a lot of kind of give and take in terms of trying to figure out what is the original of right. any given biblical text. Right. Because one of the, I, I guess, like, I, I'm, I'm intrigued that the, 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 the person who asked the question put the, said what's correct. And they put correct in, you know, in parentheses or in um, quotation marks, scare quotes or whatever, because I don't know how you answer that question. Like what's quote unquote correct. I, I, I don't know how meaningful that question is, but it does sound like Cameron, you're saying there's a bias toward trying to find the earliest. Right. I think there's always a search for the quote unquote original, which is, mm-hmm. is I mean, such originals are utterly lost to us. Yep. And wh- whoever did the first composition of any particular text, you know, that, that text had to be copied um, by scribes over time. You know, there was no printing press. There were no Xerox machines. Like it was just hand copying. And the scribal enterprise of copying text was not just about duplicating, but it was also a creative process about updating and retelling. Mm -hmm. And we can really see that well in Samuel Kings and Chronicles. It's like, here's this, here's some of the same stories we want to, on the one hand, preserve tradition, this tradition about David, but we want to tell that story in a way that comments on later days, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so that would mean lifting up some details and letting other details recede. Yeah. It it seems important to me to note that it's not like um, that's like, that's not sinister, (laughs) Right. right or right. that this that this that this you know that um I, I think in maybe some of our more let's say fundamentalist leaning you know traditions uh christian traditions or whatever there is this sort of like 
you know, we have to find the infallible originals or the closest to the originals or the original manuscripts or whatever. And I think, I, I think I would speak for all three of us. You can correct me if, if I'm wrong um, in saying that that's not actually the most interesting question. Like what's the quote unquote right one, but it's more about understanding how the text comes to us and understanding that it goes through these interpretive kind of experiences like Hamilton, um, which could be canonized if you ask me, uh, <laughs> that, um, you know, that ultimately, you know, helps us understand like what the nature of scripture is and, and even how we're invited then to also take these ancient texts and reinterpret them in light of our, you know, in light of the present day. Certainly, if we're going to call the Bible a living word, that has to be part of the equation. And that's actually built into the very nature and fabric of the text itself. So that that feels like something that, you know, it's actually kind of important <laughs> that we that we understand that um, like in our own lives as we're as we read and study the Bible and and want to see how it speaks to us today. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, especially if you're talking about interpretation. I think I would want to distinguish between um, interpretation on the one hand and the kind of manuscript tradition that Cameron was referencing earlier, right? Like we're not, mm -hmm. we're not changing the text itself at this point. There was a time when there sure. was some, you know, um, flexibility in that. Uh, and that's, I think what Cameron was talking about, but certainly that reflects uh, different interpretive streams and, and we're, we're invited to continue to interpret this living word. I, I just want to add, and this, you know, might be too much in the weeds, but I'm, I just opened uh, my NRSV uh, translation Bible to look at First Chronicles and just found one example of what you were talking about with the manuscript traditions, uh, Cameron, in, um, now I'm going to lose it. Oh, in, uh, in First Chronicles 17, 5, the uh, the the text that's translated says, "I have lived in a tent in a tabernacle," but then there's a little footnote, and uh, at the bottom of the page it says uh, uh, that that that's actually the Greek, but the Hebrew says, "But I have been from tent to tent and from tabernacle," which sounds like just bad grammar. So anyway, <laughs> when you see in footnotes, mm -hmm. especially if if you're in a scholarly edition of a scholarly translation, you're going to sometimes see footnotes that have GK, meaning the Greek, that is the, um, you know, the Septuagint, the old Greek translation, or uh, Vulgate VG, which is the Latin translation. So these these are footnotes that are more mostly um, uh, interesting to scholars <laughs> and tend to not be very very uh, significant differences, um, but because it's a scholarly edition, they're making sure you know that there are, there may be a slightly different reading or a slightly different text uh, of that particular book or that particular verse. Anyway, this is all to say um, 
lots of hands, lots of people involved in the passing down of scripture, certainly the composition and the editing of scripture, but also the passing down of scripture, because as, as I think Cameron already said, you know, there were no Xerox machines, there were no, no um, scanning uh, of these manuscripts, so they had to be passed down um, by handwritten scrolls on animal hides. Uh, primarily. So that's where we have these, you know, these slightly different readings, uh, mostly trivial uh, differences. But anyway, thank cool. you, Cameron. <laughs> that may be more than our listener bargained for. <laughs> uh, but it was really helpful to talk about Chronicles, which is uh, an often neglected uh, book uh, or books of the Bible. Um, as you say, there's, there's, Things more interesting there than perhaps we we understand at face value. Though there's also you know lots of genealogies which are not particularly uh, attention grabbing. Exciting, sure, sure. <laughs> Do you know the prayer of Jabez is in First Chronicles? For that was oh. very famous for a while. That's buried in the middle of the genealogy. Um, there are little things like that that, um, yeah, glimmers, I like to call them, you know, <laughs> in the weeds. As we That's said. awesome. Well, thank Beautiful. you to our listener for that question. And thanks so much, Cameron, for addressing it. That was, a, that was a big and complicated question. So we really appreciate your time in doing that. My and pleasure. Uh, thanks to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. Get high-quality courses, commentaries, resources, videos, and reflections at enterthebible.org. And be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. And if you are so moved, share the podcast with a friend. Thanks for joining us.